It's always interesting on Christmas Day, um, you know, or in Christmas, on our Christmas service, because, you know, it's a time when a lot of people uh, come to church that might not normally come to church. Um, you know, some people might be what I think someone came up with the term uh, creaster. I think that's uh, Christians who come to church on Christian, uh, Christmas and Easter. So if you're a creaster, welcome. Um, some of you are just here because, you know, you're family in town, you're being polite to your host, um, you're being very nice, and we're glad that you're here. And it's, it's challenging because, you know, you know, when John and I preach, we always want to, want to make sure that we're, we're communicating God's word for everyone who's here, whether you're, you know nothing about Jesus or nothing about the Bible or, or whether you, you have much knowledge and experience. And, you know, I, I want you to, to listen, regardless of where you are, and I want you to, you know, that, that you would know that today it's not an accident that you're here. It's not simply your choice that you're here. I happen to believe that our, that our God loves us so much that he gives us opportunities and for those who aren't believers, he gives them opportunities to hear the gospel and hear it proclaimed. For those who are kind of wavering in their faith, he gives them opportunities to, to be strengthened and to reconnect. And for those who are faithfully living, he gives them opportunities to grow even stronger. So as we look at the text today, and as we unpack it a little bit, I encourage you, to wherever you are, to be listening for the word and not to let it end at the end of the service. I wanna to read to you two scriptures, one often read at Christmas, the other one um, not read quite as much, although it's as much a part of the Christmas story as the first one. In Luke chapter two, verses 10 through 14, it says this, and the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased." I don't think we appreciate enough how weird this story is. We, we just kind of accept it. As Christians, we're like, oh yeah, that's the story. But it's such a weird, strange story. If you, you know, if you unpack it a little more and you just look, it's like, is this the way? If, if you were going to announce God entering into the world, or maybe you're like, you know, you're, you're like, you don't believe in supernatural, you don't believe in angels, maybe you don't even believe in God. If you were to make up a story, would you make it up this way? Would, would, would you have an angel showing up to a bunch of shepherds and, and saying, you know, this for unto you is born this, in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, 
and then follow that up with, you're going to find them wrapped up in cloths? And, and then would the kind of final pronouncement be, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased? You know, if we were trying to do this story or if, you know, if Hollywood got a hold of this story, you know, they got to change it to kind of make sense in the movies, it, it, you know, the elements would, would probably be there. But the words would have to change because they're like, hey man, our, a lot of our audience isn't going to get this. They're not going to understand how you go from Messiah to peace and then in between you got this this manger and swaddling claws. And as odd as a story as it is, it's kind of its oddity to me lends to its authenticity. If I really wanted people to believe something, I'm gonna clean it up and make it more believable. I'm not going to you know, invoke this, this angel. Why not it just be a message arrived? Why didn't the shepherds just read an ancient prophecy? It's one of those things that I think in our culture today, which is surprisingly, because our culture is, is, is overwhelmingly becoming more and more about the natural world, and that that's, this is all there is, is the natural world. And again, there is a natural world, by the way. I fully believe in it. But the belief is that this is all there is. And if this is all there is, how do you get past, in the Christmas story, that first thing, angel? How do you get past this miracle, this, this host of angels singing declaring the birth, it's hard to get past it if you believe that all there is is this world. In fact, if, again, if I were trying to make up a story, why would I put something in there that I know so many people are gonna struggle with? And yet what we see here is we see you know, even with that supernatural, even with the angels, we, we, we hear, you know, we see, we, we hear about these parents and they're having this kid and this kid is special and there's the shepherds. And as wonderful as that is and as kind of scary it must have been at first to the shepherds and then later on, how incredibly just joyful it was as they realized what was happening. What's even more wonderful is what's really happening behind all of what's happening in this world. What's really happening, and I'm not saying that Luke chapter two didn't happen, it happened but there was something else happening that's far more important. In John chapter one, verses 14 through 18, it says this, it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, 
And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. What's happening? Not just angels singing, not just baby being born, not just shepherds going and seeing and then proclaiming. What's really happening here? What's, what's it's happening on a different level? God himself enters into human existence. God himself enters into human history to save humanity. The word became flesh. And God does it in such a way, he does it in such a way that, that again, it doesn't make sense if God just wanted to save us why did he have to become flesh? When it says the word became flesh, we don't have time to unpack John chapter one, but John chapter one, John is clearly saying the word is the son of God, Jesus. When the word became flesh, why that way? Why couldn't God have saved us in another way? Why couldn't he have just showed up as God somehow? took care of us. But it says, the word became flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. I think there's a lot of reasons this, this simple phrase, the word became flesh, I think there's a lot of reasons this is the way God wanted this salvation to happen. In fact, it had to happen this way. There's a lot of reasons, and I don't have time this, this morning to unpack them all. I just want to point to one. And the one I want to point to is this, that what is happening here is the description of what we will read later on when Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus. Where he says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Right here from the very beginning of the Gospel of John, from even before we have the Christmas story, what happens is the word becomes flesh. In other words, what happens is God doesn't say, okay, you have rejected me, you've tried to replace me, some of you don't even believe I exist, some of you call upon my name, but you so distorted who I am. Okay, we want to fix this? Think about this. If someone did all that to you, how do you think it should be fixed? Is anywhere in your top 10 ways that should be fixed? Is anywhere in that that, you know what? 
I'm going to become more like them. I'm going to become more like them. These people that have rejected me and rebelled against me and done everything, I'm now going to become like them. Who does this? Only God does this. Why does he do it? For God so loved the world. There's, I love the Gospel of John. When I came to this church about seven and a half years ago, I spent the first year and a half preaching through the Gospel of John. I love it. Studied it, done classes on it, all of these things. I could spend forever just talking about the first 18 verses. But I just want you to, to get this one point that from the very beginning, God is showing us the impossibility for human beings to love like God loves. From even before the birth of Jesus, he is showing it is impossible because we know everything human in us, if we were treated the way God has been treated, and if we had done for everyone what God had done for everyone, we know the last thing we would do is want to become like them and live with them. He's showing us the impossibility of love. And we know the rest of this story. We know he's not just going to become like them. He's not just going to live with them. Eventually, they're going to kill him. This is love. This is God's love. When Jesus says, love your enemies, you know, if my kids, you know, my kids are all grown now, but if they, when they were younger, if they came home and said, oh, this person was picking on me, you know, I could like put on my, not that I would have, but I could put on my, you know, Jesus hat and say, you know what, turn the other cheek. Really easy to say when it's not your cheek. It's really easy to say, love your bully when it's not your bully. So easy to say. But when Jesus says, love your enemies, it's because he has always loved his enemies. And he is actively loving his enemies in that moment and he will love his enemies forever. Love doesn't mean just letting people do whatever they want. That's the modern concept of love. If you love me, you will let me. You know, that's so stupid. I mean, how many, did anybody do that, you know, try that on their parents? If you love me, you'll let me get this whatever. Did that work? Because if so, I'm sorry for you. You had some really bad parents. Anybody that says, if you love me, you must do X. It, it's a problem, kind of depending on what that X is, what that thing is. But here is God who is perfect within himself, who needs nothing 
and he's been thoroughly wronged, even though he has done everything to create and to love. And he doesn't just say, I love you, so hey, all's forgiven. No. He doesn't just say, I love you, so you can, you know, continue to live your lives. He says, no, I love you so much, I want to rescue you. I want to rescue you out of that bitterness. I don't know if you think you're bitter. We always hate it when we don't think we're bitter and then someone says, why are you so angry today? Don't you, you do like, do you, how many of you like when somebody goes like, comes up to you and says, oh, you're not feeling well, yeah? You know, and you're like, I was feeling fine until you apparently see something in me that's not good. We, we, we get, you know, this idea about, about, you know, what's going on and we don't think we need to be saved, but it's really clear from this text and throughout scripture, we need a savior. If someone really loves us, they're not just going to let us keep going the way we're going. They're going to want to rescue us. And you all know the hardest people to rescue are those who don't think they need to be rescued. The hardest people to bring healing to are those who do not think they're sick. And here's Jesus. He comes and he's this, the word became flesh and he dwells among us. And, and we see that he's not just a baby who grows up to be a great man. And I think that's one of the kind of the struggles we have. And sadly, it's not just a struggle in the world, kind of expected in the world, but, but it's also a struggle, I think, even in the church sometimes. Many people, they, they know the name of Jesus. You know, they know the name of Jesus. They know, you know, as some people like to say, Jesus is the reason for the season. Oh, sometimes want to follow that up with, okay, so tell me who Jesus is. What can you tell me about who Jesus is? If he's the reason for the season, then who is he? You know, I love what I, you know, I'm not just saying this because it's our church. And I'm not saying our church is the only ones who do this. We're not. But I'm telling you what I love about our church is that there are so many of you that want to know who Jesus is. And you want to know his word, you hunger for it. You, you come to everything we offer and then you want more. I love that, you know, John and I, you know, we're different in a lot of ways, but where we're the same is we make no apologies about preaching the word of God and teaching it because we want people to know 
not just the name of Jesus. We don't want people just to bear the name of Jesus. We want people to know who Jesus is. Because if you're going to call him your Lord and Savior, we want him to know who he is. If you are someone that, again, you're, you, you, know, you, you live a life and your life is full of hopelessness or despair or sadness or depression, or again, you're just bitter and angry, it's not, it's not how God intended us to live. There's hope. But the hope comes from being rescued. There's so many people that have become comfortable. You know, it's kind of the thing of the age, which is, oh, it's just, uh, I just want to go crazy when I, when I hear people say, you be you. No, 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 some of you should not be you. You be you. You, you know, you do you. No. That's the cry of the generation. The gospel of Jesus Christ says, no. First, come to Christ. First, be made a new creation. And then, in Christ, you be you. Christ transforming your life will allow you to be you, but also take away that pride, that selfishness, that bitterness, that feeling of, I gotta always defend myself. I gotta always, you know, protect myself because, you know, things that people say hurt me. you suddenly can not just see Jesus as we see him here, the word became flesh. We don't just see him more. We see what he sees in us and that he wants more from us than that we just live our lives on this earth and die. That he wants more from us, that, that he has a greater purpose for us. As we often say here, he doesn't bless us just to bless us. He blesses us to equip us. He blesses us to use us. And some of you are like, you know, we've become so comfortable that that our, our sin has become part of our identity. You know, I... Not sure I might get there someday and get my angry old man card, you know? I think they still pass those out. But you gotta get to a certain age and a certain level of anger. But think about that. Some people, part of their character is they're angry. Part of their character is they're ungracious. Part of their character is they're negative. And for some people, like, that's become part of their identity. So when someone says, you, you do you, you be you, it doesn't help. It, in fact, it kind of empowers them to say, okay, 
I'm going to be more bitter. I'm going to be more hateful. I'm going to be more critical. Jesus is saying, (laughs) if you come to faith in Jesus Christ, if you come to me, I will make you who you were created to be. Not you that's born in a world of sin, born with sin in our hearts. Whatever that you is, that's not who you were created to be. I think that's why a lot of people don't want to know much more about Jesus. Because the more you know about Jesus, the more you understand what he came to do. The more you understand that he didn't just come to spread a message of hope. He didn't just come to spread good cheer. He came to save a world that was and still is in deep, desperate tragedy. That's why we need a God-sized savior. And that's the first thing we see in John, in this verse in, in John where it says the word became flesh. And then at the very end in verse 18, by the way, this is the weird way John writes, so just get used to it. If you ever study John, it's really hard because it sounds like he's being repetitive. But John will often like make a statement at the beginning of a section and then he'll repeat the same thought at the end. So if you're trying to be like super like 21st century American, like logical and everything builds on it, it drive you nuts. If you study John, he writes like this. Okay, and he's not spiraling for no reason. It's actually a very clever structure. But here we see in verse 14, word became flesh. And he's already established up in verse one, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He told us who the word was. And then in verse 18, he says, no one has ever seen God. This is one of those times I think the text in English is screaming for a word and the word is the word but. No one has ever seen God, but the only God, the one I'm talking about, the word become flesh, who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. In two places in this short section, John is bringing home the main point of the entire gospel. Jesus is God incarnate. Incarnate just means in the flesh. Jesus is God incarnate. He's not just a man. He's not just a good man, a, a great man. He's not just the greatest man. He's not just a representative of what man can be. No. He's more than that. He is God. Jesus is God incarnate. One of the things that happens in the early church, 
Remember, when the early church is beginning, they don't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all of those things. They have the teachings of Jesus, some of what are maybe written down, but a lot of them are just being repeated, oral tradition. It was an oral culture. Most people couldn't, couldn't read anyways. So things were being passed down about who Jesus, what Jesus taught and what Jesus did and who Jesus was. And one of the things that was also happening is they were experiencing, they were experiencing this new life in Christ. And we've been studying the book of Acts in, in our Sunday mornings, and you know, we've gone through that. And what they're finding in Scripture and what they're experiencing, and then what will later be written in, in the New Testament. What they're finding out is only a savior who's God could provide the kind of salvation that we need. You see, if all that we needed was to be pulled out of trouble, that'd be one thing, right? Have, you know, you, you, you might have done that, you know, when you know, if you ever had to take care of kids or, or raise children, right? There's, you know, there's certain things you, you do, like they get in trouble, you pull them out. Well, if you really love the kid, you don't just pull them out. Because what happens when you, you know, they get too close to the edge of the pool, they fall in, you pull them out. Put them down, walk away. No, you don't do that. You know, you're going to take care of them. You're going to protect them until maybe if you really have opportunity, you're going to teach them. You're going to change who they are. They go from people that, someone who doesn't know how to swim to someone who can swim, someone who can tread water, someone who is smart enough to know that you shouldn't go into water that's deeper than your height. You're, you're going to teach them, you're going to change them, you're going to help them. And until that time, you're going to protect them. You're not just going to pull them out of trouble. The trouble that we were in was the trouble that was caused because we rejected God. We rejected his goodness. We wanted to replace God. We made ourselves gods. It became about what we could do, what we could conceive. And history is littered with the tragedy of humanity's attempts to be good and to be right. We had a huge problem because the only the only solution was either just to wipe us all out or just to somehow just, you know, take our brains out and put in good brains or somehow give us an opportunity that through faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit would come into our lives 
and would make us new. Doesn't replace who we are, transforms us into who we were intended to be. That could only be done by God. Again, you might think those are pretty strange beliefs. Well, they're 2,000 years strange. They've been in scripture for 2,000 years. The next thing we see is we see this repeated again, just how John does. He does it in 14, and then he does it down in um, 16. I'm sorry, he does it in 17. He says, we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And then down in verse 17, he says, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The way John writes this, what he's trying to communicate is, you wanna know what grace is? Grace is Jesus. Jesus is grace incarnate. We have to get out of our heads grace meaning graceful. It's not what it means. Grace is that, that abundance of blessing that we do not deserve. In fact, in verse 16, John, John writes, grace upon grace. It's John's way of saying like, it's excessive, it's lavish, it's abundant. And Jesus is grace incarnate. It's kind of interesting the way he writes that. You know, in verse 14, it's kind of familiar phrasing, full of grace and truth. But in verse 17, he, he makes these parallel statements. He says, the law was given through Moses, grace and truth, and that word came is not really the best word, I think, there for the Greek. I think it's more the sense of became. And even became doesn't really get it. It's just this, again, this sense that Jesus himself, just by showing up, was grace and truth. He talks about the law was given through Moses, and the picture, that word through is really the word by. It was given by Moses, so what happens is, Moses received the word, and then he gave it, right? That's the picture. But with Jesus, it's different. It's not something that was given. It's something that became. Became in this world. Just like the word became flesh and entered this world, when Jesus comes, grace and truth really show up. And they're embodied in Jesus Christ. He's grace incarnate. Jesus is truth incarnate. And again, at the risk of running through things way too fast, and I hope at minimum this at least raises questions in your mind, questions that you will not let go unanswered. But what is the truth that Jesus incarnates? He tells us the truth about God. The truth about God is that there is only one God. And he's not some power. He is a person. He is the person who thinks, who loves, and is holy. 
We see this in Jesus. Jesus reveals God. He reveals the truth about God. Jesus reveals the truth about existence. And again, you know that I'm the kind of person who doesn't just think every single thing that happens has some kind of supernatural meaning. If someone goes to the doctor, you know, I'm not gonna say, hey, don't go to the doctor, just go home and we'll pray for you to get better. No, I believe God uses doctors. Truth about existence is Jesus is telling us this world is not all there is. The word became flesh. The word entered into our existence from another existence. Jesus reveals the truth about humanity. When God himself shows up, when God, the word, becomes flesh, humanity shows itself that it's doomed to repeat its sins and its failures. That when we look at at the people Jesus is confronting in Jewish society, he's not confronting the peasants, the common people. It's the leaders, it's the religious leaders, it's the people who are supposed to be the best. And what Jesus reveals is that when the best of us confront someone like Jesus, that we are so enslaved to pride, we are so enslaved to self, we are so enslaved to power, that we cannot stand Jesus. Because Jesus says, I'm not here to beat you. I'm not here to overpower you. I'm here to love you. It's the truth about humanity. The truth that we are doomed to continue to repeat the sins and failures that we have and every new attempt, every time we move forward, we do it with new tech brings us closer and closer to annihilation. Jesus brings us the truth about salvation. It's what we've just talked about, that the only hope is gonna be if we can be transformed through faith in Jesus Christ. That is the only way we can live God's way and not our way. And Jesus reveals to us the truth about love. That true selfless love comes only from God. It's not something I can generate. I can't love my enemies, I can barely like them. But true selfless love comes only from God. And it comes only to those who are born of God. We can only love that way because of what Christ has done for us. In a sense, love is the hope for the world, but it's God's true, selfless love. And that love can only come from God, which means Jesus is our only hope, just as we just sang. If you're, you know, first time hearing this kind of stuff, I know it can be kind of overwhelming and a little confusing. I hope you're, you're right you know, at least where you're thinking and you're asking the questions. And maybe your question is, 
you know, what next? How can I understand more? We would love to talk to you more. We'd love to point you to others, if you don't live here, that can help you. The important thing is not to understand everything, but it's to accept the truth of who Jesus is. Understanding can come in time. But what Paul writes to the Romans is, it's about faith, it's about belief. It's believing what God has said about himself. It's believing what Jesus has said about God, that there is only one God who is holy, who loves, who creates, who redeems. And that this God was not just revealed through nature and creation, this God was revealed in God's word, this God was revealed in Jesus Christ. And we need, again, it comes to belief. We need to believe what God says, not just about himself, but what he has said about humanity, that we cannot save ourselves, that we are enslaved. If you had a quiet moment, I don't care if you've been a Christian for you know, 50 years or you're not a Christian at all or you're just kind of new in your faith, if you had a quiet moment and you really asked, what really motivates you? If someone could help you get down to the core of what really motivates you, some of us, sadly, when we get way down there, under all those layers of goodness and maybe Christianese, is still pride and selfishness, demanding your rights and what you deserve. Believe what God has said about humanity and believe what God has said about salvation. Salvation is through faith in Jesus Christ. Salvation is through admitting who I am without Christ, knowing that I'm enslaved to sin, confessing that to God, but then believing that Jesus can save me. And Jesus promises in his word, if we do that, he will make us new creations. We will be able to love as only he can love. If you're not a Christian today, you know, ask yourself, what do you believe? Do you believe in Jesus? What, what do you believe about Jesus? Do you believe in the supernatural? Do you believe that Jesus is God incarnate? If not, you know, it's kind of, kind of hard to accept any, any kind of faith at that point, except to keep asking questions. But if you do, if you do believe Jesus is the Son of God, if you do believe that he came uh, to, to this world and he lived this perfect life and he died on the cross for your sins and he died and he was resurrected, if you do believe that, why have you not received him? To Christians, what do you believe? What are you really experiencing in your life today, are you experiencing life in Christ? Do you experience a growing sense of love for not just your friends and your family, a growing sense of selflessness even directed towards strangers and enemies? Do you have a deeper love for your fellow church members? 
Or is it just kind of the same and it's been the same for years? Is there a hunger, a desire to know more and to do, no, do more for Christ? We've talked about the greatness of Jesus over the past three or four weeks. In fact, every Sunday we do, but specifically we kind of emphasize it in, in, in the book of Acts in here. And the question is always the same. What do you believe about Jesus? And what difference is that making in your life? 